Hi-ho, this is Jordan, and you're listening to Drawing Controversy, the podcast covering controversial cartoons and the people who provide the creators of said controversial cartoons information on the world's most twisted, celebrity-influenced sci-fi cult. I'm, of course, talking about Scientology, the religion founded by science fiction writer L. Ron Hubbard. According to the best estimates these days, there are about 20,000 Scientologists in the world. 25,000 tops. Yeah, really. I have to wonder if the dwindling number of Scientologists and the increasing number of defectors and critics of the organization come down to one of the most controversial episodes of the most controversial cartoon there is, South Park. Raise your hand if the first time you ever heard of Scientology, L. Ron Hubbard, body thetans, operating thetan level, e-meters, going clear, and evil galactic lord Xenu was from South Park. Okay, maybe don't raise your hand because this is an audio medium and I can't see you anyway. But I think a lot of us learn plenty about Scientology after viewing the season 12 South Park episode called Trapped in the Closet, originally airing November 16th, 2005. Here's a brief recap if you never saw it or just kind of forgot. In the episode, 10-year-old Stan is told he is a messed up kid after taking a personality test. Stan is told in order to fix his problems, he needs to join the Church of Scientology. And the episode famously features Stan joining the church, being told by the church that he is the reincarnate of church founder L. Ron Hubbard, learning Scientology's top secret to life, and then Stan coming up with new Scientology dogma, all while warding off Tom Cruise, the famous Scientologist who won't come out of Stan's closet after Stan insults his acting abilities. The best part of this episode is the This Is What Scientologists Actually Believe text banner that displays when the church president tells Stan about the evil galactic Lord Xenu and the origins of life. But how did South Park creators Trey Parker and Matt Stone even know what Scientologists believe in the first place? Who did they consult with? Well, that would be journalist Mark Ebner, who is our special guest this episode. I met him a few years ago through another Scientology journalist critic I know named Tony Ortega. Tony, being a foremost expert on Scientology, was a featured speaker at this convention called HowdyCon, where ex-Scientologists all get together. Tony introduced me to Mark, who, as you will see, is another expert in this field. When I introduced myself to Mark several years ago, he told me all about his consulting for South Park. And when I started this project, I realized I needed to get him on this show somehow. I mean, this is a subject this podcast was made for. Lucky for me, Mark gladly agreed to do this interview, and I'm going to have links in the show notes to some of his finest journalistic work. So now, get ready to hear about Mark Ebner's lived experience, how he used that experience to contribute to the famed South Park episode, how the church reacted upon seeing that episode of South Park, as well as Mark's thoughts on present-day Scientology and Scientology journalism. We're really drawing controversy with our subject now, but we will worry about all that later. Here's Mark. Well, nice to see you again. I don't know if you remember the specifics, but as I recall, I met you at HowdyCon 2019. Oh, boy. Yeah, 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 of course. And uh, didn't we podcast uh, once already or no? No, we did not. But what happened is Tony, someone, I, uh, our friend uh, Tony Ortega, someone I've stayed in touch with over the years. Yeah. He was very nice enough to, uh, I had this old podcast project and I had done an interview with him here and 
I thought, you know, doing a cartoon podcast, I remember our conversation about you, you telling me about South Park. Yeah, well, South Park, uh, I mean, it was, I think that the most beautiful sort of overarching thing about the whole South Park trapped in the closet episode was that they did more to damage Scientology in a little cartoon than, you know, many, many other people and critics had been able to accomplish collectively for decades in terms of exposure. It was it was pretty incredible. Yeah, and that's exactly why it was so important to me to get an interview with you. And before we get into South Park and uh, some pretty interesting stories I'm sure you have about that, I wanted to just kind of ask you about your career. Why don't you tell everyone about your entry into the world of journalism and how you found like celebrity scandals and Hollywood true crime to be kind of like your true calling. And uh, in doing research, I figured that you did stories on hepatitis C and Hollywood. You have an NBC, I think it was a Dateline piece about how Paris Hilton, of all people, saved Girls Gone Wild creator Joe Francis from an extortion scheme. So what was your beat? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you want me to kind of tell you about my uh, career and how I got into it, I would go back to Providence, Rhode Island, also known as Crime Town in the podcast world. If you haven't listened to the Crime Town series, it's it's excellent. But, you know, I, I came up in the 60s in Providence, Rhode Island, and uh, in the shadow of a building that we know as uh, the, the Superman building. Well, it's not really the Superman building, that building uh, that... Uh, they used for the black and white Superman show starring uh, George Reeves back in the day uh, was actually in L.A. However, you know, Rhode Island being Rhode Island, we kind of pretended that this building that was essentially the skyline of Providence was our own Superman building. And I used to love watching the old black and white Superman series as a kid except I was more interested in Clark Kent, uh, the intrepid reporter, as it were, over the guy flying around in tights. I wanted to know what this guy did. You know, I think that's where I, it, it got into my head that, that I wanted to be a reporter. And here we are, you know, uh, this many decades later, and I'm still flying that same craft. I never went to journalism school. I went to Bard College, otherwise known as the Little Red Whorehouse on the Hudson. And I had a great four years there, partied a lot, learned a little bit. And uh, yet I already knew that my path was chosen. I just had to take the long land route to get there. Something happened along the way. In 1996, I think it was, or 95, I, I started to get obsessed with these men and women and young adults and even children who were uh, marching around Los Angeles in Navy attire, lanyards, the whole, the whole bit. Curious people, sure. Yeah, and I'm like, what's going on here? And as naive as I was, I you know, learned a little bit about the quote-unquote Church of Scientology and uh, how secretive they were and how anti 
press and media they were, unless they could, you know, create their own narrative. I considered that an invitation. And I realized that the only way to, to investigate this cult, as I came to know it, was to join. And that's what I did. Uh, Spy Magazine, the story is called, um, Do You Want to Buy a Bridge? Now, where can you find it? To prove my thesis, it's not really available too much on the internet. I'll provide a link in the show notes. I found a copy. I have it as a placeholder story. I know a story posted on my uh, placeholder website, hollywoodinterrupted.com. And, you know, so it's there, hopefully forever. But, uh, I really cut my teeth on that one and uh, consequently kind of became the go-to guy on all things Scientology related. Now, our dear friend, Mr. Tony Ortega may dispute that. Yeah, what does he think of that? <laughs> you know, we always, we've been arguing for years about, you know, who made their mark first. And to me, it really doesn't even matter because I will definitely cede the crown to Tony because he stuck with it. And he made it not only just an advocation since he, way back when he was, uh, doing his, uh, what was it, was it Underground Bunker at uh, the uh, Village Voice, I think? Well, Underground Bunker is also what he calls his website, um, but he first was doing Village Voice pieces. Yeah, and he was all, in at, Village, at the Village Voice, he was doing, you know, 90% of the stuff that, you know, crossed my desk was Scientology related. So hats off to him, and I'll replace it with a crown because he really is the man. I just, uh, you know, I would say that, you know, I don't turn down Scientology requests, mainly because um, they still exist. This evil, evil, totalitarian mind control cult still exists. And we see that reflections of that in just about everything that's wrong with this world today. And that's a big topic, but, you know, and I know you wanted to talk about cartoons and so do I, so have at it. Well, yeah, and I, I do want to give some proper background. I mean, to give credit where credit's due, in your Spy Magazine story that uh, came out in 1996, you describe a process in which you actually infiltrated the church, and you explain what that's like. Can you give us, like, a condensed version or in a nutshell? Um, you explain how, like, the church the kinds of questions they asked you, how they have what's called a dead agent pack because they knew they needed info against you if you came after them? Well, I was operating on a somewhat limited uh, expense budget, and I came to learn that Scientology is, surprise, quite expensive to get to those upper levels and, you know, uh, be able to have complete control over things like matter, energy, space, and time. Oh my God, bro, Jordan, it's a fucking Ponzi scheme is what it is. But I walked in the door. That's how I joined. I went to the Dianetics Testing Center on uh, Hollywood Boulevard, right in the bowels of that same town. That would be Hollywood. You know, of course, there was a guy to greet me at the door and he pulled me in. There was no one else there. And he said, so what on you? And I said, uh, well, I said, yeah, I kind of want to quit smoking. His first response, 
was the stock Scientologist response, recruiter response, which is, oh, Scientology can help you with that. Now, smoking? Well, uh, <laughs> you know, it's sort of like the dishonesty from Scientology started right there because they have no policies and they had no policies against smoking at the time. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, at every org that has L. Ron Hubbard's desk, you know, essentially the way uh, he left it, you know, so that when, you know, he comes back, you know, everything will be familiar to him. They always have a pack of uh, unfiltered cool cigarettes on his desk because he was a fucking chain smoker. And Scientology's uh, by and large still smoke cigarettes because I think, and it's a funny anecdote, but I think at one point or another, L. Ron Hubbard actually said smoking could cure cancer. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> now, as absurd as that sounds on the face of it, once you've been indoctrinated into a cult, that's the kind of thing you'll believe. So I walked in and he said, we're going to do some, uh, I guess it was called book one auditing where I'm not attached to an e-meter. And can you explain what an e-meter and how auditing, because you know the problem with the church is they use so many esoteric terms to kind of brainwash you that it's hard to explain to anyone who has no familiarity with the, this concept. Of course, Jordan, and that is done by design. They create something that is so filled with jargon and cult speak and is so labyrinthian by nature. They do that you know, because it's a, you know, it's their way to keep people from asking questions. People will become too overwhelmed by it, but not me, you know, certainly not me. I walk in, no, we didn't do auditing. But like auditing is like questioning, right? That's like the easiest way to explain to someone. Right. But yeah, what they did was the guy gave me a personality test and, you know, it's a, what are some of the questions on there? Have you ever taken one? No, but I'm familiar. So we'll get to like kind of what they parody in the South Park episode. But I know it's stuff like, do you ever walk into a room and then forget why you're there? Or do you ever like feel really confused sometimes in your life? Right. But I should tell you uh, some of the questions. They, they ran from every uh, thing from what color is your stool to when you're in a high building looking out the window, do you ever think of jumping? Well, of course, who doesn't? But what they want is desired results. And at the end of the test, he leaves and he's going to tabulate my responses and give me my results. And I remember him saying, man, you're angry. You know, it, it also uh, said something like you exhibit a complete lack of accord whatever that means i don't know but you know my inside i'm saying well of course i'm angry it's a hot summer's day and i'm walking around the hollywood boulevard you know looking for my next pack of smokes you know i'm yeah you know i'm bound to be angry what you know what of it but it's all designed to spit out results that scientology can help you with and that's where it all begins you're fucked up we can help you then they'll start name dropping celebrities. John Travolta is a member. Tom Cruise is a member. You know, Kirstie Alley, you know, they, you know, Isaac Hayes. He even lives at the 
or lived at the Celebrity Center, for God's sake. It's a sell job up front. I ended up purchasing a copy of Dianetics, which is the Bible for Scientology. And uh, then he routed me, which is a Scientology expression. He kind of herded me over to the Big Blue, which is the Big Blue, former Cedars of Lebanon uh, Hospital on Sunset Boulevard. On L. Ron Hubbard Way, right? Yes, on L. Ron Hubbard Way. And I went over there and they started uh, me on auditing right away. And auditing essentially is, it means, I guess, the Greek or Latin derivation is uh, to listen. And what they do is you have an auditor. That's the person who's going to listen to you. And they have an e-meter, which is essentially uh, a dressed up. Like a tin can, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's a couple of tin cans, alligator clip to a lie detector, you know, and it senses, you know, your reaction to certain things that are discussed. And, uh, you know, with that, you know, auditing was, uh, for instance, Jordan, take me back to a traumatic episode in your life. Okay. So I said, well, I'm, I fell out of a tree when I was six years old. And they say, okay, let's start at the beginning. Well, I went into the woods and I found a tree I wanted to climb and I climbed the tree and all of a sudden under my feet, the branch broke and hit the ground head first and had to get rushed to the hospital. You see, there's a lot for them to work with there and they keep doing this. All right, go back to the beginning, go back to the beginning and and you go through all the layers of that event and you tell that story so many times that it becomes fucking absurd to you and you start emoting heavily. You know, it's like uh, I said in the stories, try saying the word ball a thousand times and see where you're at at 998. You're just kind of, you're exhausted. That is where the auditor said to me, your needle is floating. That's a good sign. In other words, I had blown the charge of that traumatic event. And now we could move on to other traumas and secrets. Keyword secret right there. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, they want to collect this stuff on you. Collecting info on you. And in doing so, believe me, if you're doing auditing, at the cult of Scientology anywhere in the world, you've signed your innermost secrets over to Scientology. And believe me, they say they don't do it, but they will call from your folder. It's called a pre-clear or PC folder. And they will use that against you should you ever leave the cult, become critical of the cult, or become a liability in any, any way. They've uh, got your innermost secrets. Which you did, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I to me, it doesn't matter. You know, in, in other words, as you know, if you read the article, I outed myself in the first couple of paragraphs. I thought of everything I could think of that they would come at me with. You know, how much I owed the IRS at the time. I'm an ex-drug addict. You know, all this stuff. I put it out there and I'm like, take your best shot. That kind of angle has worked for me more than once in my career because what are you going to do you know especially in the age of cancel it's like fuck you i canceled myself in 96 and i'm sorry i'm dropping f-bombs here uh 
I don't know how you feel about that, but... Uh, no, no, uh, we're all good. Or at the very least, I knew what I signed up for. Actually, I have two initial questions based off what you're saying. In your time as a person infiltrating the church and then using the info for your article, were you there deep enough to learn the Xenu story? And uh, if you could also just explain, in, in case by now people still don't understand what Xenu, what Phaetons, like what all that works. Uh, they weren't about to, uh, you know, tell me the story of Xenu and uh, push me on through the up level, which would have been OT, which stands for Operating Thetan, which is Thetan, they say, is the spirit, and we are Thetans. And that would be for OT3, where you get the Xenu and all that uh, Scientology horse shit. So OT3, I found out about what happened was, was that, you know, after I had been in the cult for a couple of weeks, you know, it's like they're trying to push me on more expensive levels and purification rundown. You know, we got to attack, you know, this at the mental level, the physical level, the spiritual level. We got you from all angles and all these processes have a price tag. Now, I can only go so far. So what I did was when I had been run out of uh, resources to, you know, to go any higher than I had, I started meeting people that had blown the cult, uh, ex-cult members. If I started listing all the people I met, it would be too much. And if I didn't name them, it would be too little. Um, but this was a crowd that was hanging out on a, this was, you know, this was back in the day when the internet was a series of message boards, and that's how you got your information. And I met a lot of these people through a message board called Alt Religion Scientology, or ARS, which is a misnomer because uh, if you're talking to me, I'm never going to concede that Scientology is a religion. But nonetheless, that's where everybody hung out, all the critics. And uh, I started reading up and I, you know, I read a couple of books, L. Ron Hubbard, Messiah, Madman, Piece of Blue Sky. You know, I, I, I got myself fairly well educated in the cult from people that had not only been in it, but had gotten out and managed to survive, you know. So that's when I learned about Xenu. And Xenu is... I guess there's milestones that you achieve in Scientology as you go along. The first big ticket is going clear, which is, you know, essentially you do enough auditing so that jumping back to kind of blowing all that trauma out of your system, that is when you've managed to nail everything. And now you function purely on your analytical mind. Is that right? Tony, he told me it's like the reactive mind, right? That was like L. Ron Hubbard's term. Yeah, you don't want to be operating from a reactive mind. In other words, you don't want to be emoting or uh, have a sense of humor or ask questions. You want to be going from your analytical mind in Scientology or your rational, whatever the fuck. It's been so long, I, I forget a lot of this stuff, um, and it'll come to me after we hang up. But regardless, what happens is once you've gone clear that years ago, that would have been about $50,000. I thought it was like in the millions. It's probably about 
75 or 80 now to go clear, if not more. OT3 back then was a quarter of a million. So now it's probably would end up costing you double that. So yeah, it gets up into the millions. But don't forget, if you join the Sea Org and put on one of those naval uniforms. And work on the boats, yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, if you want to do slave labor for Scientology, uh, you can approach the quote-unquote bridge to total freedom that's offered you, they'll get you up there at their own pace after, you know, they've worked you to death and fed you, you know, a rice and beans diet. For 40 cents a week, yeah. Yeah, it's enslavement, you know, is what it is. And yet they get away with it in the name of religion. OT3, what is it? Well, you're going to meet a guy named Zenu, the evil Lord Zenu, who, uh, 75 million years ago on planet Tijiak, otherwise known as Earth, Xenu came down and I believe it was a DC-3 packed with incendiary combustible things like hydrogen and uh, glycol. And uh, it was whatever formula that could blow up a volcano was in that particular DC-3 with Xenu. Oh, no, no, no. They were DC-8s with rocket ships, if I remember correctly. Yes, dc eight. Thank you. See, I told you, my, my memory's spotty. Plus, I'm an old stoner, so you'll have to forgive me on some of these details here, but we'll get it. No, you're doing great. So, yeah, DC-8s, and it came down and basically went to the islands of Las Palmas, otherwise known as Hawaii, and exploded these volcanoes. And out of those volcanoes came what Xenu had put into them in the first place, uh, which are called these thetans called body thetans. These weren't good thetans like you and I. These were evil little critters that would attach yourself to your body and poison every process you have. So the goal is you got to get rid of these body thetans that Xenu put out into the universe 75 million years ago. That, that attached to your body, right? You're trying to clear yourself of that. That's what you're paying all that money for. Right. It's an expensive process. But at that point, when you're, you know, putting a quarter million, half a million into something, it's damn well going to work, isn't it? They believe it does. You know, that brought me to Southport. Matt Stone and Trey Parker, I had known them since the 90s, you know, earlier in the 90s. Not well, but well enough to get invited to their uh, annual Halloween party, which was at once the best and most disgraceful event in Los Angeles at the time. And other parties that they'd have, I got to know them a little bit. I was friendly with one of their producers, a woman named Jennifer Howell who wound up calling me up one day and said, can you come down and consult on uh, an episode we're doing? And I was like, which one? And she was like, Scientology. And I was like, oh, you bet. I went down to South Park Studios, which was it's on the west side, brick building, walked in. I sat down with Matt and Trey and Jennifer was there and a couple of their producers. And basically they just ran tape and they did what you're doing. They were like, hey, tell me your story. And I told them from uh, the story from A to Z. What was great about that was this was years back. So it was fresh to me then. And uh, I was able to articulate enough to the very least on the Scientological end of things, 
in their storytelling was to set up a template for them. And then they did what they did. Number one, making it hilarious, making it funny, making you enjoy the ride. And yet at the same time, as you remember from Trapped in the Closet, the episode, which I believe was their highest viewed episode ever. It got a lot of accolades, certainly. Yeah. And what they do is it's important stuff because, you know, you'll see a scene where, you know, they're going through the Xenu story in their animation. And underneath that, they've got a Chiron or Chiron reading. This is what Scientologists actually believe. That was genius. I had no idea going in that they were going to go as far as they did, but they really went for it. Did they give you much of a sense of like what the story was going to be about? Or did they just say, we want to do an episode on Scientology. Tell us what you know, and we'll do our part later. That was pretty much it. Sit down. This is how they put it together. You know, it's sort of like you're making a documentary. You know, you record and then you get a paper cut of your interviews. And then you cut that up and you make your documentary. Well, it's not that different making the South Park cartoon because they recorded you know, me for a couple hours, just telling them everything I could think of. You know, it's automatically printed out. They've got the stock animation characters. Everybody's there. And uh, they put their show together. And what they put together was quite brilliant, I have to say. Yeah, and of course I agree. I, I wonder if you happen to know, do you have any idea why they chose that? They're often pretty big on, like, portraying real-life people, and the joke is it's always their terrible impression of them. But why did they have it that the Church of Scientology, the leader, is just a nondescript leader and not the person who I feel like is, like, way more cartoonish than anything you would have seen in South Park? They didn't make, like, a caricature of David Miscavige, the real-life church president. I'm trying to remember the actual, uh, let's see, they kind of did, you know, I guess, I guess they just didn't put him out front and why they did or didn't do that is uh, a com completely their own editorial decision. You know, they knew about Miscavige. Believe me, I talked to them. David Miscavige, for your listeners, is the, uh, you know, he's the boss man at Scientology. He took over L. Ron Hubbard's spot when he died. Yeah, well, he usurped it is what he did. But that's a whole other uh, historical explanation for trying to understand why this cult still exists at any level. I do know that they're not recruiting the way they used to. In fact, it's almost like at a dead stall. I mean, there's just too much out there you know, for, you know, reasonable people to get sucked into that call. You know, so I think critics and journalists and authors and Ortegas and yourself and people who have broached this subject over time have put enough out there that people know, you know, what's up and they know enough to stay away. But on the other hand, Scientology still has, you know, a few celebrities or opinion leaders. And I do know that Hubbard valued that more than anything else. He had the foresight, yeah. He tried to recruit Walt Disney. I mean, he wanted big names because he realized the value of opinion leaders. Well, when talking about the South Park episode, you had your own reaction. I mean, clearly you loved what they did with what you told them. Of course, there was quite the reaction from 
people involved with the church and a few celebrities. I mean, the first person I wanted to ask about is Isaac Hayes. He left, reportedly left, because of this episode, because he was a Scientologist. And at first, Matt Stone had said something about like, well, he's kind of a hypocrite because he had no problems with us parodying Christian, Jews, Muslims, and Mormons, just his own religion. But then we found out only a few years ago through Isaac Hayes' son that at the time, late 2005, early 2006, Hayes had suffered a stroke, was in no condition to make any public statement about leaving South Park, and it's believed that the church did that for him. Oh, you most certainly can take that one to the bank. Oh, yeah, this was, you know, communication put out by uh, Scientology. This wasn't Isaac Hayes speak. Isaac Hayes was essentially dying. You know, he was on his way out, for God's sakes. And, you know, the comeuppance, I think, that South Park had on the other end of that was, was that it didn't matter if the chef, Isaac Hayes, quit the show because they owned his likeness. They owned his voice. And I believe they brought him back to life in a couple of episodes after that. Well, they killed him off. They had kind of already phased him out by that point anyway, I think. Yeah. You know, regardless, it was like, you'd think that Scientology would know better than to make a PR issue out of this, but they can't help themselves. Speaking of such a thing, we have to talk about the person of key figure parodied in the episode, Tom Cruise. Now, the whole him being in the closet, the making of detail I know is that they wanted to make fun of the fact that Tom Cruise at the time in the 2000s had literally sued people for implying or speculating whether or not he was gay. That was their own kind of like jab at they couldn't literally make a joke about him being gay. So they have him actually in a closet. And then there's the whole, uh, what do you know about this whole what's dubbed Closet Gate, where Cruz was so mad that, like, Comedy Central was going to air a repeat of Trapped in the Closet, the episode, that he threatened to pull out of his promotional obligations for Mission Impossible 3, which was owned by the same parent company. Yeah, I mean, all of that is true. All of that is true. And even South Park is subject uh, to standards and practices, and they went to the muckety mucks and said can we call tom cruise gay and they said absolutely not and they said well can we put him in a closet that he can't get out of or he won't leave and they said absolutely and that was the green light as simple as that that was their workaround on the whole gay thing do i believe tom cruise is gay i frankly i couldn't give a shit yeah that's his business i don't know I do know that, you know, from what I can tell, you know, he's not, you know, gay or straight. Maybe more asexual, but again, his business. Yeah, I mean, asexual would probably where I would go. But I can tell you, I'm 100% certain that his counterpart, John Travolta, is gay. So, you know, I mean. Who is also put in the closet in that episode. Yeah, I mean, it was a cheap joke, you know. I don't know how it would fly today. Right, there's that too. But, you know, it didn't matter. They don't care. That's the beauty of South Park and Matt Stone and Trey and the creators, because they don't care. If they wanted to do it again, they'd do it. And I can appreciate that. Well, so now can you explain, in going into the Church of Scientology's reaction towards the episode and how they handled you and Matt Stone and Trey Parker and the South Park staff? Well, I was living in... Uh, Los Feliz at the time, not far from the Scientology Celebrity Center. I'd come out in the morning, put the garbage out, 
and I'd look across the street and there would be a Crown Victoria parked across the street with tinted windows. And I'd be like, oh, there's a private investigator. I walk across the street, I tap on the window. And I remember saying to this goon, I was like, you know, if you really wanted to be discreet, you probably wouldn't be driving a Crown Vic. All you fuckers drive these cars. I know you work for Scientology. Get the fuck out of here. Or don't, because I don't care. What are you going to do? Go through my garbage? Yeah. And they did. They went through my garbage. Uh, They had a media source who would kind of update, you know, who'd rat me out. A guy I knew, he just passed away last year. So, you know, whatever. He was on, uh, he was on their payroll. They pay media people. They, you know, they do this to dig up dirt. And he told them what he knew about me. And that's how they came up with this profile on me that was later leaked to me few years back, Marty Rathbun, executive high up in Scientology, he left and he approached me from an anonymous Hushmail account, identified himself and sent me the private investigator report, which you can find on the Gawker website, which is still up. And if you've seen that, I'm like, what, is that all you got on me? Because it's pretty lame. Which I'll include a link for They describe you as part of a clique of low-class writers, bloggers who hang out in the L.A. area. And this is the best part. I'd like to know if you have any thoughts on this or if you knew of anything else. Apparently, all this private investigator stuff coming out of the Office of Special Affairs and Scientology, whose job is pretty much to stalk and harass people like you, apparently their plan was to get a mole to become an intern at South Park Studios But it failed because, like, it's still really hard to get an internship at a place like South Park Studios. Oh, heck yeah. Even getting a a writer job on South Park was a rite of passage uh, for some of the best comic minds, you know, in the business. Yeah, I mean, obviously, being an intern there would be a coveted position. As briefed as they were on Scientology, they'd probably see them coming a mile away if they tried to do that anyway. They're stupid idea. But those are the lengths that is indicative of the lengths of Scientology. And uh, I have no doubt that that happened, yeah. Well, and I even heard, I think this may have been through yours or uh, Tony Ortega's reporting, that the Office of Special Affairs, all these investigators they're sending, they were getting really frustrated because they they go to the South Park studios and they take pictures of the license plates of all the employees, they go through the trash, and they just couldn't really find anything that was really going to trash their reputation or ruin their lives, it seemed like. No, of course not. You'd think for, you know, an organization that fails so much in their mission to lie, cheat, steal, harass, sue, or otherwise destroy. I'm, I'm paraphrasing L. Ron Hubbard there. That's his edict. Yeah, that's his words. Like, don't defend, only attack, destroy them, right? That's his, that's the fair game memo, or if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, and to see it used in society today that it's dangerous in the wrong hands. You know, attack, never defend. You know, like I said, lie, cheat, steal, harass, or otherwise destroy. You know, they're not kidding. It's, you know, real call to arms type stuff. And there's a body count in Scientology. You know, it's a whole other podcast to talk about people wrongfully dead 
as a result of Scientology. There's an underlying seriousness to all of this, you know, which keeps critics like me in the game because it's sort of like you just have this feeling like not on my watch, cut it out. And anytime I catch you, I will expose you. You know, and I made that clear to Scientology. Well, you want to harass me? Well, go ahead. But I guarantee I'll come out with five more stories or five more podcasts for every time you take a shot at me, you know, and uh, I've been able to do that since. You still find like weird instances of people stalking you or they kind of like given up? You know, I think that I think there's a white flags effect going on. Do I think that I won? I don't know. I didn't realize that. I mean, I didn't really think of it as that kind of a competition. But I would say I've won in regarding harassment. Uh, I haven't been harassed by them in a while. And if they were doing it, I'd know about it because I know their tactics inside now. Yeah, what do you think the real legacy of the South Park episode is? Because, you know, one thing I thought was really funny is that, I guess, thanks to you and thanks to the things you were able to provide Matt and Trey, the church's leader, uh, David Miscavige, his niece, Jenna, defected, and she admitted um, in an interview that she only learned about Xenu and the stuff they teach you in the OT3 because she watched the episode after she left the church. Right. It's beautiful. It's like his own niece you know, didn't even get up to those levels. As did his father, too, yeah. But remember, when you get to those levels, honestly, you're fucked. Your mind is screwed because we find it absurd on its face. But imagine being into that and buying all of it wholesale. What happens is, is ultimately you just don't know black from white. And uh, Scientology has a lock on your bank account. It's really, really insidious. What do you make of the fact that, like, so you kind of, you did your first reporting in the mid-90s, so did that allow, that was like kind of as the internet's in its infancy, but did that allow for all those moments in the mid-2000s, like, more internet reporting? When I grew up, I just remember it all kind of happening at the same time. You have Tom Cruise doing the weird couch leap on Oprah, then he's arguing with Matt Lauer, And, and the best part is he's arguing with Matt Lauer about, like, psychiatric drugs about drugs used to treat postpartum depression and according to those who knew david miscavige well they're like no he is repeating everything miscavige told him to Mm -hmm. because their like pr blitz was like let's make everyone know about our views and scientology let's we got the biggest movie star back in our good graces because tom cruise actually didn't have much to do with the church i believe from 92 to 2000 Mm -hmm. Uh, but I don't think that really worked because like, not only did he embarrass himself or like you, you see stories like yours or like from Tony's, but then you get the South Park episode, you get Janet Reitman and Rolling Stone, you get, were you responsible for the leak of that video where Tom Cruise, he received the Valor medal or what did they call it? Yeah, the Tom Cruise crazy tape. Yes, I'm responsible for the dissemination of that. Okay, please elaborate. <laughs> The video itself is, you know, what can I say? It just doesn't make sense. You've seen it, right? Yeah, and to explain to people, it's like a video of him. He's supposedly giving this, like, made-up award from Scientology, and he's ranting about, like, can you imagine? Yeah, SPs, suppressive persons. Have you ever seen an SP? Well, I have. You know, it's just, it's nonsense. It makes no sense. Made all the sense in the world to him. 
and all the other acolytes are going to be sitting there nodding and applauding and that sort of stuff. But essentially, it was pure insanity coming out of his mouth. And when I saw that tape... How did you see that tape? Like, where did it come from? Mark Bunker, longtime Scientology critic. He's now on the city council in Clearwater, Florida, which was an amazing feat. Yeah, I was happy to hear that because they own that town. Yeah. yeah. Mark Bunker, it was late at night. He sent it to me. He goes, have a look at this. And I was like, holy shit, can I use it? Can I uh, send it somewhere? And uh, he was amenable to that. Listen, I'm not taking complete credit for the dissemination of that tape, but I will say that I was the one who put it in the hands of Gawker. And I did that for fun and for free. I could have gotten thousands for that. Or if I had value attached to clicks, I could have been halfway to retirement now. But you know what? I did it for fun and for free because any chance I get to expose and or mock and or ridicule Scientology, I'm I'm all for it. And having seen that tape, I knew it was going to blow up and it certainly did. And uh, yeah, I'll take credit for that, getting it into the hands of Gawker. Yeah. Well, is it true that I heard part of the reason it got in the hands of someone like Mark Bunker or like kind of what the sentiment was is that David Miscavige, the church leader, he really wants Tom Cruise happy. And like, so they give him the award, they do the ceremony, but they're calling him the greatest Scientologist who ever lived basically in this video. But like the people who are most upset about that were like the actual Scientologists who have to clean boats and like get no food and like limited shelter for slavery wages like they think like wait a second uh, uh, this is what i do for scientology and he's the greatest is that kind of correct that was sort of the feeling in the air yeah but none of the swabbies in scientology are going to object to tom cruise's success i mean remember he's the face of scientology and this is what people are like oh you got to see mission impossible and or whatever you know and i'm like no i don't i'm not interested not boycotting it because I'm sure there's a lot of other talent in there. Honestly, I'm just not interested in seeing Tom Cruise in anything until perhaps he disavows the cult of Scientology. And that day may well come. Maybe not for Tom. Not for him. I think he's he gets too much out of it. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Well, actually, I have a semantic question for you. I know Tony, he's been insistent on like, it doesn't matter to him whether... The Church of Scientology is labeled a cult or a religion, or he thinks it's kind of unhelpful terms. Now, when you use the term cult, is that just because it's easy shorthand, or is that just like a difference of opinion for you? Like, no, this fully is a cult. No, it's it, it's a full-on cult. What are the parameters? What are what makes a religion? Well, generally, you have some sort of deity. You know, you have uh, you know something other than a huckster like L. Ron Hubbard. Hubbard wasn't espousing spiritual development as much. All you got to do is go to his work. Look, look, you know, look at his doctrine. Make money, make more money, and then make more money so as to make more money. That's the kind of shit that came out of Hubbard's mouth. These hucksters, whether it's Donald Trump or Ron Hubbard, they say the quiet part out loud and the followers eat it up. What else can I tell you? There's like one piece on Tony Ortega's website where he actually credits Tom Cruise to almost being like his own destructive force against the church. And it was in response to an L.A. Weekly piece from a well-meaning film critic. She was kind of saying like, 
Well, you know, I, I mean, this is true. Tom Cruise did not jump on Oprah's couch like a trampoline. He just stepped on it. She gives the context and kind of implies like, well, it's because of our misremembering of that incident. That's what's ruined his career, turned him into a laughingstock. And not what like Tony said in response, which is like, no, 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 no. Okay, that happened. But then so did... The argument with Lauer about drugs used to treat postpartum depression. So did the work from journalists like you and Janet Reitman. So did the South Park episode. And then it kind of became like the media, instead of having to fear being sued by the church, they could now say, well, we're just typing up what Tom Cruise just said. Like, don't come after us. There it is. There you have it. Yep. Have you ever been much of a cartoon person? Like, what were you most interested in? Like, either as a kid or growing up? Ah. Meet George Jetson, you know? I mean, I go back to the vintage sort of tell. I, I wasn't a comic book guy, but cartoons, yeah, I guess, the, you know, the Jetsons, uh, what else did I like? You know, through the years, I've evolved to the point where I think my favorite would have to out for. You know, not only did uh, I get to, you know, have the honor of coming down and consulting on the Trapped in the Closet episode, I also enjoyed their show very, very much. I'm from Rhode Island, so obviously I'm a family guy guy, adult swim. Yeah. So where can people find your work? Anything you'd like to plug or promote? Oh, yeah, I got a book coming out. It's a collaboration I did with a young man named Giancarlo Granda, and it is called Off the Deep End. It's coming in October from HarperCollins, and it's about the fall of uh, the evangelical Falwell dynasty. I don't know if you're aware of the story behind that. Oh, I very much am, especially these days. Okay, so I got the pool boy, and I did a book with him, and it drops in October. No way. Yeah. Okay, well, I will preemptively endorse your book then. Please do. It's on Amazon now. It's available for pre-order now. Look at that, and we'll revisit when it comes out. Sound good, Jordan? It does, and whether we see you collaborate with South Park again or your book or anything else great you're working on, I'm sure my listeners and myself, we all look forward to it. And Mark, thanks so much for getting together and doing this interview with me. Yeah, thanks for rapping with me, Jordan. Take care of yourself. Thank you for listening to another installment of Drawing Controversy. Drawing Controversy is a podcast created, edited, produced, and written by me, Jordan LHH. Theme music is by Mikhail Elish. Cover artwork is by Keshav. Follow at Drawing Controversy on Instagram, at Drawing Contrav on Twitter, and we'll see you in two weeks.